Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Anu Lampinen, a seasoned midwife of over 30 years. Anu has worked as a hospital and home birth midwife throughout her career. She also has knowledge in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, as well as breastfeeding consultancy and postpartum recovery. In this episode, Anu and I talk about what a positive birth means for the birthing person, what kind of changes Anu has seen in the Finnish birth culture, and what she still hopes will improve. We speak about the importance of continuity of care and why it can make such a difference in the birth experience, as well as how midwives can help facilitate this positive birth experience. We then touched on physiological birth and what you can do to increase your oxytocin in childbirth, as well as what happens when we remove the pain caused by this oxytocin hormone. We finish the episode off by giving you pain coping techniques that you can try and practice. So make sure you listen until the end. This is a beautiful episode that has so many gems. I want to apologize for the slightly lower quality of my sound on this one, but I'm still sure that you will enjoy it. Welcome to the Birthing in Finland podcast, brought to you by the Nest Doulas. I'm Danielle Bensky, a mother and postpartum doula specializing in maternal well-being and psychology. Each episode, you'll hear eye-opening interviews with some amazing people who support families in Finland just like yours. We'll help you navigate what it means to birth in Finland, growing your confidence on your parenting journey. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into our daily dose of birthing in Finland. Hello and welcome to the show, Anu. It's a pleasure to have you and chat with you today and to welcome you on Birthing in Finland. How are you? <laughs> Thank you. I'm fine. Nice to be here. Thank yeah. you for the invitation to here. Yes, it's a pleasure. You you really are uh, one of the iconic midwives of Helsinki. So it's really my pleasure as well for you to be oh, here. Um, thank you. I'm really looking forward to everything we're going to talk about. And just before we dive in, I would love for our listeners to get to know you in case they don't. <laughs> Could you tell us a bit about your journey of how you got to where you are today? Yes, I try to explain it deep, not deeply, but shortly. Um, well, I was really, really young when I graduated as a midwife. So I feel that I have grown up as a woman hand in hand with growing up as a midwife. So midwifery is really deep, deep, deep in me. I haven't done anything else in my life, I would say, as a job, I mean. But there are a couple of important milestones or thresholds to me and maybe some of them I can tell to you also. So I was already a couple of years as a midwife in Gatilopista Hospital and then we started uh, this kind of a stalk nest uh, ward or first it was a study not a ward. There were a couple of midwives and we got our own patients so it's completely different than the Finnish system that you don't know your midwife beforehand we had in this study so that I had my dear old dear own families and I was their midwife also 
during the birth. So they were coming to me for prenatal checkups after 20 pregnancy weeks. And then after this 20 weeks of love and companionship, they gave birth. And that was first mind-blowing thing in my midwife career. Because what did it mean to a midwife to have this kind of a true continuity of care that I knew the family well? I knew so much better what words to use. I knew so much better where the birth was. Like, is it going on well or do I have to do something and what to do? So it was kind of full of love. I'm talking nowadays a lot about love because I felt that the love is a kind of the big word for everything that happened there between us and why I felt that the the work as a midwife for the family that I know is so completely different than just someone who pops in to the birth ward. Of course, that is lovely too, but it's so different. Uh, then, of course, an, another milestone was I had been eight years as a midwife then, and I got my first child of my own, so I labored myself. <laughs> well, That's as a, a big, midwife... Big step. <laughs> yeah, as a midwife, I I was kind of like a naive about this physiology of birth in a way. And I found out that that wasn't at all that important to me. Like what was the cervix open? How was the CTG? That sort of things. I had my inner journey, like Pam England is talking a lot about nowadays about it. But it really surprised me that I was somewhere in the labor land and how strong that was. And, well, the midwife, my dear midwife, Lisa, was there to help me. And she really was there to support me. But I had to do the road myself. Yeah. So I talk also a lot about woman's inner journey. What does it mean with hormones and emotions and that sort of things? Uh, and always I've been interested in what is a good birth what is normal physiological birth? And that's not that easy <laughs> to tell. Uh, because I have, have had so beautiful labors of myself. I have four girls and four wonderful vaginal births. When I started working as an entrepreneur, I started to do also home births. And I love birth stories any kind of stories, but especially birth stories. And I, in these home births, I learned so much about women's stories. That what is a physiological birth? What, what does a good birth mean for that woman? Which is completely different than to me. So that was also quite mind-blowing. And I realized that because the hospital situation is what it is, and I've done these off-road things, nowadays I think I blossom when I'm working as an entrepreneur, so I'm not anymore in the hospital. And I think I can serve the, the whole community best this way. Yeah. Oh, you, this is so touching, and I really appreciate you going in and doing the thing that makes you happy as well in your role and bringing in from your wisdom into the into the community base 
Um, in so much of what you said, I had so many comments along the way, <laughs> and I wanted to let you finish. You said love, and this ties so beautifully because it's that hormone of oxytocin, which we will go into a little bit yes. later in our conversation, which you are so passionate about. So that came up for me. And then you were talking about how it's a woman's inner journey and how I wanted to add that indeed it is us who have to, each one of us has to walk that path ourselves, And the support system around you can help you feel safe so that you can walk that journey within you yourself. And at the same time, nobody can make you have any kind of birth. You are going to birth in the way that you live. And you are going to have the birth that you need to have. And sometimes as midwives or doulas, we can try to influence it one way or the other. But I think with life and with, with skill, being a midwife mm. like you for over 30 years, probably you have learned this, that each woman has to have the birth that she has in order to teach her something about herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. And the odious thing that I have realized with this own path, so if you go your own path, it means that there aren't any path, like you are not going, that you have a sign that go this path that there is. It means that you are in the middle of a jungle. And you You're have making to... your own path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is not not path ready for you. How is that quote, the poem by Robert Frost, "The path less walked"? Do you know this quote? No, no. I don't rem oh, yeah, I wish I remembered okay. it. <laughs> Maybe one person in the audience can remind us and oh. comment that. Yes, that hopefully Robert, I wish to have it too. <laughs> Robert Frost said something about taking the path less walked. That this yeah. is the. I will look into this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but this, wow. Is, this is very much related. Uh, I studied this poem in high school. <laughs> okay. okay. But um, yeah, this is exactly it. We are forging our own journey. So hmm. that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of what you were saying earlier, you mentioned about the hospital system being the way it is. And one of the next questions I wanted to ask you that becoming a midwife 30 years ago, can you reflect a little bit about how was the birth uh, scene in Finland different to what it is now? Sort of what has changed? Um, mm -hmm. Have things developed or maybe not developed? Could you give us a little look into that? Yes. Mm. There has been a good things and bad things, of course, like life it is. What I see nowadays, of course, because of the coronavirus and other things, there has been, they have closed down a lot of little hospitals in Finland. So it means big, busy hospitals, especially, of course, I'm working here in Helsinki area. And to me, it looked like, a, you know, I see it as a narrowed midwifery work. So more like hospital routines and interventions, so-called medicalization has really landed to, to this midwifery world. But still, I see that there are individual midwives and doctors who can work also very well in hospital settings. And then there has been a big wave of doulas dollars coming to Finnish hospital system 
And I think that is wonderful because midwives nowadays really don't have the time to be there. And of course, you don't know her beforehand. So doulas are there that I find so lovely and important. And there are plenty of studies that shows that doulas are really important for the for the birth also or the how the women feel afterwards. And then another thing is the home birth scene that has raising up also in Finland. So we have been kind of or I would say we have a set of a mind that there is only one road to go. So now we have a little bit variation so women could choose the kind of birth settings that they feel most comfortable. Sadly, not yet these kind of uh, little midwife-led, uh, little not hospitals, but this kind of like practices. Yes, yeah. Similar to the Netherlands, for example. Yes, yes, for example. Yeah. Yes. So hopefully we are going there more. So there are things that worries me a bit, but there are things that I see that there is. When there is too strong some power, then comes the opposite power. <laughs> we yeah. need balance. Yes, we need balance. And in a way, in, the world is more individualized. It's a, at the same time kind of a negative thing, but also in birth setting that women or birthers, that they find their own road and their mm-hmm. own birthing team and their own birthing place. At mm-hmm. least think about it. That is it okay for me to do something? Mm-hmm. And what kind of changes are you still hoping to see in the in the system? Like you yes. mentioned the midwifery-led units. Is there anything yeah. else you would yeah. add? Yes. Well, that is something that we we really wish to have, <laughs> but we don't have the stork nest anymore so that was the first and last one so they ended up when the Catilopista hospital was closed down a couple of years ago yeah yeah people people may not even know that that existed can you tell us a little bit about what that was yeah so it was 1998 that they opened the ward and then we didn't have the prenatal checkups that was somehow not not possible at that time, but we had the families coming to us for birth classes. We had uh, six or seven sessions, about a lot. Yeah, that's two, quite an intensive two hours. Course. Yeah, and then we had for one family session with a midwife also. So the, these were the group classes, and then we had this kind of a um, that everyone met one midwife that they could talk about their own wishes and fears and situation around the birth and that sort of time. And then they gave birth to us. We were first something like 10 midwives. So most of the families with these seven or eight sessions, they met all of us. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like one-to-one midwifery, but it was like a team-to-one. So you more likely knew the family when they gave came to give birth. And also, they have their postpartum time, these couple of days that they stayed at, yeah. at hospital with us. So yeah. I could follow most of the cases to the postpartum time, the, my families that I have helped to labor. 
So the continuity of care was really what made things quite unique in this story. Yes. And what is yes. quite missing right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have heard a lot of stories like in these nevola settings, prenatal clinics in Helsinki area. Of course, we have to talk about this area uh, that you might have like 10 different nurses or health sisters or midwives there. And not just one, like it, like I think it should be. And but why? Well, why? Why do you think it should be? Why is that important? I think there are too few people to take care of it, and well, of course, the corona time also. That if you have a little flu, you fl- <laughs> you are not working, so some has someone has to, in a way, back up you. But it's all also about how we. Mm, how we put money on our health system. Mm. Yes. And that's another story about the whole land of Finland. <laughs> <laughs> and for, for the mother... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. For the mother herself or the birthing person, what are the benefits of having continuity of care? Why is it important in the first yeah. place? Yes. Well... For the birthing woman, I think it's about oxytocin hormone. <laughs> uh, I think I think about birth that we are all mammals. We are all mammals when we are giving birth. So humans are like cats and dogs. Sorry, <laughs> someone might feel that's a bit odd. But birth is more about hormones and reflects and this kind of instincts that you are doing during birth and not that much like human being has the thinking mind. And the most important thing for all mammals is safetyness. And safetyness comes from the place and from the people. And of course, you can be very comfortable after two seconds with a new person if you have that kind of connection and you are well your chemistry human chemistry so that you feel immediately that hey that's a good person for me I'm not talking about good or bad persons or good or bad midwives but about the like do they fit together so that is one thing for the birther to release good hormones for birth to be there that she can or the mother can put her efforts or the power to the birth and not sitting with the midwife but i also i think that uh, for example as a midwife you can't be that uh, routine or closed down so you have to be open and you you want someone that you know you want to be so much better and it's a, hard to explain but how but then you like go maybe a bit of the routines and from the hurry up because you know the one so it's there comes some sort of essence of of love <laughs> to the midwife point too yeah and, and do you feel that today the midwives are maybe, as you mentioned, in the big hospital, they are perhaps overworked and understaffed. Yes. And yes. so the time to connect with the, with the birther is limited. Yes. And the time to share that love is perhaps yeah. more limited. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And of course now 
hopefully not all the pregnant women now get scared that we have terrible situation in Finland in hospital settings. It's not at not at all like that, but it can be. It can be that that time you go to give birth to your child, the hospital is really full. But it also can be that it's not at all full, and the midwife has all the time to be yeah. there, be there with you, is even yeah. though you don't know the midwife beforehand. So still, I would say, what I have heard, for example, from England, we we are in better shape, mm-hmm. though, in our hospitals or mm-hmm. in Sweden also. There are especially in Stockholm settings. Mm-hmm. So we have more midwives than there. <laughs> so not that bad. Yeah, that's good to reassure, you know, reassure. The birthers who are listening. Um, but you mentioned uh, just a few moments ago that making choices, and you mentioned about having a choice to, to birth, where to birth, and, and just having choice. Yes. Uh, so I want to take that point about having choice and bring that into a positive birth experience. I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, what do you think makes a positive birth experience? What are the what are the elements of a positive birth experience, yes. and how can a midwife support that? Yeah, yes. Well, that's a really good <laughs> question and a big question. So what is a good birth? And when I was young and beautiful, I thought it's about what happened there. So we know, of course, about studies that more intervention, less good birth experiences, if said shortly. But it's not that simple, of course. And what do you mean by intervention? Maybe people are not so clear on that. Yeah. Yes. So whatever that affects to the birth, so it can be induction, it can be these medicine painkillers, it can be membrane rupture, whatever that interferes the hormonal system or takes away the woman's movement and positions that she wished wishes to be. So We know that in birth settings there is this cascade of interventions. That means that if you have like induction, it means that there's more and more likely to have another intervention there. For example, from Nystan Clinica settings, talking about uh, percentages, we know that if first-time mother goes to induction to Nystan Clinica, around 30% of those women end up to have a caesarean, which is completely different than if you have your own contractions or... No, well, contractions means labor. And of course, it's not that easy because there is, of course, complicated pregnancies and pregnancies that really has to like end up so... It, well, the whole birth setting is always kind of paradox so there is always <laughs> like routine i think routine inductions are not that good because they lead to more interventions that usually means less good birth experience but of course not always and in many cases it's important to do them and it's safe <laughs> safe procedure or You have to choose from three bad, bad things that you, I mean, bad that you don't wish to have, an, for example, some sort of intervention. But then, for some reason, you have to have it. So in in that way, it's not matter of choosing something. 
in a birth, like in life. You can choose when you go to a shop and you choose that, shall I take the soya milk or shall I take the red cow milk, <laughs> like we say in Finland, or what? But it's it's not that simple in in birth. So, But I think it's about the good, I mean, the good positive or positive birth experience is about feeling safe. It's about how you feel that you were treated, so about the people. It's about, I would say, family-centered or woman-centered care. So the woman is the one or the birther whose wishes are the kind of the law as long as it's possible. And if not possible, there should be time and place to discuss about it. So why the the off-road of your wishes is better in this position. This is a really big uh, point to just stop and, and realize that you said that in the beginning of your career, maybe you thought that a positive birth was dependent on what happened in the birth, mm-hmm. whether it was like a vaginal or a cesarean or whether yes. there were interventions or no interventions. And what you have come to realize and also what research is showing that the positivity of the birth actually depends on how the woman is treated yes. and if she has yes. genuine choice and if yes. she has autonomy and if she she is the key decision maker. Yes. But yet we still yes. see women having less than positive experiences and traumatic yes. birth experiences. Yes, yes. So what is going on? Like why? <laughs> why is there this dissonance and how can midwives support women in having positive birth experiences. Yes. So mm, there are many ways that midwife can do. And one thing that is really good in Finnish setting is that normal birth, you have your own midwife and you won't even see a doctor. So there is one person, well, she has her work shifts limits, of course, but she's the one one that is there for you. And if she has the time, she's there for the hearing your wishes, hearing your fears, giving you the support and like keeping the birth in the physiological road and tries to get it back to the physiology and not the off-road of birth. Uh, so the midwife is there beside the bed saying, to women that or birthers that this is normal because there are plenty of things that sounds really odd like for example what vomiting <laughs> which is well midwives know that there might be four centimeters or maybe six centimeter around there vomiting and some women think that okay now I have some sort of disease also but that's physiological that's normal it's okay Some women scream some point because of adrenaline, actually, that I'm going to die or something, or bad words to the partner. And midwives just smiles and say, that's physiologically in this point, too. (laughs) So kind of safetiness there. Say maybe that you are safe. I help you. Hmm. I think it's about wishes, fears needs and seeing the the powers of a woman and sometimes I think the most wonderfulest thing as a midwife is to see the woman finding her inner powers that she didn't know she had and I think that happens in every birth in a way 
rebirthed, I think they have more power to give birth than they thought beforehand, or some moment of the birth that, okay, I can't take it. But maybe after 10 minutes, they can take it so well. Well, that is why it is such a rite of passage. Yes, yeah. And it's that is why it's such a big day in our life. It's not just another day. And it requires also a lot of preparation and a lot of looking into what kind of informed decisions do you want to have and you have also yes. done work in prenatal uh, education antenatal classes so yes. you also speak and know the importance of preparation um, mm. mind and body uh, yes so also yeah. cognitive preparation but also mind uh, and body preparation yes yeah. yeah that's so important too yeah you mentioned um physiology and yes. I wanted to take that as a segue into our topic of oxytocin. <laughs> so yes. why is it at all even important to focus on physiology? Like, what are the benefits of letting physiology take its course? And I think oxytocin is very much related. So I'll let you answer that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So normal physiological labor says Rachel, Rachel Reed, midwife thinking, so wise woman, she said that in hospital settings, we see very few physiological births because there are so, so much interventions in, well, not only like with interventions like hospital interventions, it's about also like that a woman can't be in that position that she wants to be or someone is talking in the moment she don't want to answer. But about normal physiological birth in a nutshell is about oxytocin hormone. There are plenty of other hormones, but oxytocin especially. So it's easier to grab into something small and open the big scene about that. There are the paradox still during also with oxytocin or during birth with oxytocin. But I I just love the old oxytocin. <laughs> Why wouldn't? Because it's the super hormone that gives me and all human beings, also male, orgasm, a good sleep, a good birth, love and compassion. So what do we need more in life? So let's raise up the oxytocin, even though we are not even pregnant and <laughs> during the birth especially, but if you are not still, it's so good. So why? I think that birth, as I told already, in a way, it's an autopilot of hormones and positions with movement. It's not less using your thinking mind. So oxytocin hormone is the most important hormone in the labor. It means good contractions, but oxytocin hormone also is a pain releaser. So good contractions with less pain. So what else do you need during birth? So in five minutes birth class, I would tell people that oxytocin works like this, puff, puff, puff. So there are studies who shows that if you want to raise up your oxytocin, it means that most of the people want to be in not that bright lights, no loud voices, 
safe place, maybe some sort of massage, hugging, this kind of uh, rhythmic breathing or even birth singing voices. So it's, it's all about, like, if I think about the partner of the birthing, birthing woman or human, so the partner should know how to raise up the oxytocin hormone and what things to avoid that harms the oxytocin. We know that, for example, adrenaline hormone takes the oxytocin down, but in their nearby pushing, it's there important, the adrenaline, but in the opening stage of or setting of opening stage, the adrenaline, like fear or fight, fight or flight hormone, sorry, for example. Yeah. Yeah, and, and indeed it's the oxytocin hormone that is so crucial because it is what creates the contraction of the uterine muscles and it is what will bring <laughs> the baby to be born. So it, yes. it's actually because of this hormone that we experience the pain of labor. Yes, and yes. So in turn, pain is actually quite an important part of labor. Why yes. is it such a key part and what happens then if we take away the pain. Yeah, yes. So um, I think the pain in birth, not when you break your leg in the street, but birth, it's a physiological. The pain is physiological. It's your friend. Not the sweet friend, but the true friend. <laughs> not the sweet one who says always like, yes, yes, or a lie. You, for example, know that, okay, this is now the birth, not just gas in the guts. You need to go to safe place. So it's written deep in our bones or in our cells that we need to go to safe place when we start giving birth. I have met a couple of women who told me that they didn't have pain. And they, was, they were more anxious about the birth I had anxiety that how do I know next time that it's not really gas in the guts then it's the baby coming and usually it means also quite fast or in a way that it's it doesn't feel right either but of course again there is well pathologic pathological pain is a strong word but I think there is physiological pain during the birth, but not all pain in the birth is physiological. So physiological birth means that the hormones like oxytocin is working well. You can take the pain and then you have the pelvis-baby combo that are well aligned together. So baby is in good position in the pelvis and the pelvis is well big enough, that's really rare, that it would be too small. Most of the women think that the baby can be too big for the pelvis, but that happens really, really rare nowadays because we don't have these kind of uh, diseases that moves the pelvis or don't make the pelvis to grow to a woman's pelvis from childhood. But there can be misalignment in the pelvis and there can be... Yes. Less than optimal fetal position. Yes. 
Yeah. And that's why ba spinning babies and uh, combined with yes. osteopathy or chiropractic yes. is, yeah. is, can be very important or acu acupuncture as you are yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I call that like a pathological pain. So, for example, in birth settings, you might have pain all the time. So that is not normal. Then there is something like, for example, the baby is not in optimal position there. So there should be like a pain and no pain moment, this rhythm. The waves. Yeah, these waves. And then you can take it if you have the pain all the time. You don't have the moment to rest and have more oxytocin, actually, and endorphins. And of course, it can be some sort of inner journey, too, that you have trauma, for example, already in your body mm -hmm. that makes the pathological pain that you can't take. And how to know about the baby's position during the pregnancy Well, spinning babies, these three wise sisters, you can do daily, not knowing how is the baby. And the babies are not like attached there or aligned there. Yeah. Not, uh, or can be, but not. it's not that important. So it's a matter of how is the baby when the birth starts. But if there is pelvis problems or backache problems, it usually means that there is some sort of tightness and baby in the uterus can take the best position. So if you're pregnant and have pelvis low back issues, please go to osteopath, do these spinning babies or come to me for acupuncture and gua sha. When you release these things from the pelvis back, wherever they are, you get the baby in better position. But again, it's not a promise. <laughs> But more likely. Yeah. It is more, more likely. likely. Yeah, yes. for sure. And about pain still. So there is a point that physiological birth means more like the, I usually say that the next year goes on, like from when you're coming from latent phase to the active phase and then there is more intensity more power and the contractions are even longer and of course then there is more pain it means that something has to be changed so i think that is the good thing to remember if there comes more pain something has to be changed position go to shower go to bathtub come out of there take a optimal position for yourself make more space to the inner pelvis with your own position or for example in pushing stage it means that in some point you have this pushing power from the uterus and then you have the other power this kind of many women say that the ring of fire so it says that don't push now that much so you avoid the tearing and it's a even a dance of these two pain powers that tell you that push, not now, push a little, not more. So sometimes even even the midwife doesn't have to say that, don't push now, hold on for a minute, push a little bit. Because she will know it intuitively. And it's, yeah. not, it's not even that she can recognize that she's doing it, but yes. it's just yeah. happening. As yeah. you said, this reflex and intuition that is in the, yeah. in yes. the cells. Yeah. Yeah. And 
the pain itself, it of course comes from the uterine contractions, ligament stretching, baby's head pressuring, that sort of things. But pain, of course, it's not just physiological pain. There is also kind of an aspect of fear or anxiety. So if you, for example, if you don't feel safe, you have more pain, normal physiological pain more if you don't feel safe. And you can take more pain if you feel safe. So it's not that kind of like, uh, like many women has asked me, how is the pain in the birth or during the birth? And I say, it's so kind of a package of many things that makes the pain. And there are even studies that shows that if you think that the pain is your friend, not your enemy, afterwards asking how was your birth, you f- have more like positive birth experiences when you think that the pain is your friend. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that like pam pam. <laughs> and that, that would make a lot of sense to me as well, because when we are tensing up, then it hurts more. Yes. Then when yeah. we are releasing the muscles and relaxing into it, um, mm. yeah, then it becomes less painful when, when we do that. Yes. And also the hormone of endorphin, endorphins mm-hmm. that come yes. and that are produced in response to the pain and in yes. response to the yes. oxytocin helps to help us cope in a physiological birth process. Yes, well, and it is our body's morphine, so it's really good. <laughs> Makes you high. <laughs> and this is where, why so many women who give birth physiologically speak about going into this birth land and an altered yes. state of consciousness. Yes, mm-hmm. because of the endorphins. So when you when you decide to use any kind of pain medicine that removes the pain in a medical way, you are also removing the endorphins. Yes, and you're also removing that altered state of consciousness that tell us why that can be important the altered state of consciousness what does it have to do maybe with bonding or with the experience of labor or with the mother's internal feeling of herself as a mother Mm. everything that and it it also affects to the oxytocin hormone so you have to be more on your brains during the birth and you can't then follow your inner instinct, maybe. And we know that, for example, uh, epidural and spinal, the medicine there is synthetic opioid that they use, and that puts down the oxytocin hormone, especially during the birth. And we should have a peak of like Mount Everest when the baby is out, so to attach the mother baby father baby partner baby parent baby love and compassion and connection but also we know from swedish studies there is wonderful lady charistin uvnes muberi she has studied about oxytocin hormone that it also means less oxytocin after labor with mother and with the baby Every breastfeeding session, they had a study until, was it eight months old? But we don't really know. The study didn't show what does this mean to humankind. Uh, 
but uh, this um, Michel Audant, Monsieur of Active Labor and Water Births, he's a doctor, still living, almost 100 years old, but still living and kicking, and I suppose teaching also. He said that because we know about the genes, that the genes that we used to think that if you get the genes from your parents, it's that what it is. But now one knows we know that those birthing hormones, especially oxytocin or endorphins, they like wake up some hormones for the child and shut down some hormones. And we don't know this mixture yet. What does it mean when we really put down? Yeah. Or not really put yeah. down, but they got go lower. So that then, the hormones yeah. of birth can influence which genes are switched on and yes. which genes yes. are switched off. Yeah. This is incredible. Yeah. So I, it, yeah. it really goes deep, even to the next generation, I suppose. I want to just make a little side note to, to the people listening, because many of the listeners are probably uh, families and parents themselves. So just again, to respect everyone's own decision. Yes. But I feel that it is my role to bring people who are professional in this field to talk about the science and the evidence. Yes. And with the yes. science and the evidence, our listeners can then make what we said earlier, informed decisions. Yes. And making choices yes. for themselves. So I'm not trying to shame or blame anyone who is choosing to birth with epidural. I just hope that people will make this decision out of informed uh, choice and not out of fear. So just Thank in brackets. You. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was just like from out of my tongue. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's so sad that it easily goes that you, that mm -hmm. you have bad choices or, okay, now everything is ruined because you need to take it. You can't take or do the right choices for you if you don't know the background there. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm so think the same as you do. And life is what it is, even though you know what would be the best. But you realize that now I need something else. So during the birth about pain medicine, I think it's a matter of uh, that you have to be open for yourself and knowing when the benefits of the, for example, from the epidural is bigger than without. Yes. Sometimes Again, when you get the moment of rest, sometimes it's the pain is too much. There are also studies that shows that if the mother has had too much pain during her birth, there will be problems in this mother-baby bonding and connection. So, again, it's not like avoid all the painkillers and your life would be wonderful. Hmm. It isn't black and white. Yeah, it is. Not at <laughs> all. But how about people who want to practice some kind of other pain coping yes. methods, yeah. uh, maybe in pregnancy already? What can they yeah. be doing? Do. Yeah, and I think... One wonderful thing is, and studies shows that it's good, that everyone who is going to labor will do these non-pharmacological things. <laughs> because in Finnish settings, you have to be quite, if you know, we are talking about vaginal birth, of course, not this. Uh, 
beforehand settled C-sections. And sometimes even there, some sort of little rites like pumping beforehand might be a good idea, but not for, of course, not for the caesarean pain. But to prepare for those moments that you can have the power in your hands, because we know that helps you a lot. And you can be active and powerful with the epidural or after the epidural. So it's not like you lose it immediately. And we know that if you, for example, have the TENS machine or hypnosis or whatever there, and you then end up, for example, epidural at seven centimeters, it means that you might not have three epidurals. We have these doses of epidural so we have so-called walking epidurals so we only put doses and not this kind of like all the time there is coming some medicine so so it's completely different to have one little dose of or little one dose of epidural than three doses so more is more so that is one thing that if you could avoid two two other epidurals Maybe it helps, but well, life is what it is. But then what you could do, uh, it's a matter of, I think, about the oxytocin hormone. It's about position of the baby's position and it's about movement of mother. So it's good to exercise your body beforehand. And breathing is quite nice. Of course, you can't be without breathing or you faint. <laughs> But breathing well and maybe exercises, if you are stretching and having kind of pain, you can start breathing there and like to try to find how do you feel and how does the breathing help you. Walking, squatting, of course, eating healthy food, drinking enough. These are the baselines that sometimes I've a bit forgot that they go all together. So this human physiology <laughs> being preg- pregnant or not is really important uh, of course because i do also the chinese medicine so called acupuncture and gua sha i think these little big things preparing for birth for example these rites little rites of passage do the acupressure points every evening after 37 weeks when it's not anymore like inducing the labor too early. If you do these little acupressure points every evening, what does happen in your mind? It means that I do something and it makes my birth better. It makes my body more powerful. I have the power in me. So birth is also like a, a strong, long physiological exercise, like running a marathon. So you also need the mental preparing. It's yes. it's really important. And it goes with these little things that you don't really think that they are so empowering. And of course, if you pressure the points your oxytocin because they are raising up the oxytocin so they makes oxytocin hormone higher and maybe the birth established there better 
And then you have the tool, especially the partner has the tool to do something during birth. And you don't have to there start to, like, starting to learn how to do it. You have the tool already there. So, okay, this now, fine, okay, good. So, in many ways, these little big things help a lot. So, do every evening, five minutes, something that the... A pregnant one feels comfortable. It can be leg massage, just some sort of like, is it fondling or just little, like not really massaging, but touching the Caressing, skin. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Rebos or whatever it can be. Essential oils, wonderful music, preparing the birth team, like if you want the doula. Thinking about the pain, what is my attitude to it? What are my tools to it? Taking a childbirth preparation course. Yes, that's <laughs> of course really important. <laughs> yes, and study shows also that taking a good birth class really helps you a lot. And one that goes beyond just what are the protocols of the hospital. But more yes. more into the mind body connection and yes yeah you brought up gua sha and, and acupuncture yes I was hoping you could share with the listeners what are you using acupuncture for yes. what kind of challenges in 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 people pregnant people perhaps yes happy to do that because I'm a midwife acupuncturist I usually don't have male patients <laughs> and the problems that the women that come to me with their problems, they are usually somehow related to to midwife work. So also menopause, period problems, a lot of fertility issues, also male with fertility issues. And most of the patients that I have been taking care of this 10 plus years is pregnant women. Headaches, migraine, vomiting in the early pregnancy, nausea, back issues, pelvic pain, breech babies, try to turn it with actually moxibustion, preparing for birth. So there are this kind of a needle setting that say that if you start them from 37 weeks, it prepares your body. So they are not inducing points, but preparing the body better for the birth. And maybe breastfeeding problems, sometimes raising up the milk production, breastfeeding pain, even breast infection. I have salt with the needles. So like the whole whatever range. there is, <laughs> whatever there is problem. Well, or if there is some sort of like a serious illnesses, like toxemia or something, I could do the needles, but I'm very strict that you need also the western medicine there yeah yeah a combination yeah yes yeah i want to offer our listeners to to know what other services you are providing besides uh, acupuncture is that the main thing you are doing right now or can people uh is it beneficial for people to know that you are doing anything else yes yes well i think if there are a lot of pregnant families, it might be helpful to know that I am the one who does one of those few midwives or birth specialists who does birth classes also in English. There aren't that many in Helsinki area. 
Then I do all sort of midwife appointments like birth trauma sessions after the labor or birth fear sessions, breastfeeding counseling. I do also home visiting. So acupuncture, midwife sessions, and then I teach a lot. So I teach midwives, water birth, normal physiological birth, acupuncture around the Finland. Doulas also I teach and physiotherapists who are specialized in this motherhood, so-called aitius physiotherapy. So I have been teaching them also this normal physiological birth. And for example, next week I'm going to start a long postpartum doula class with Gabriela Aldani-Kekoni about how women could or people could support the families in this really crucial postpartum time that we have a bit forgotten in Western world. Very much. Yes. And we will have you on for another whole episode about the postpartum. (laughs) So that is something for people to look forward to as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is a topic I'm also passionate about, as you know. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So where can people get more information about you and your services or contact you? Yeah. Yeah. So email via email or telephone me or text message is the, the way and you can find me i'm the house of midwives midwife so in finnish katilotalo and house of acupuncture akupunktiotalo so they all lean to me right we will provide the links in the show notes of this episode yes thank you so people will easily just have to click on it yes <laughs> wonderful thank Good. you Anu, I want to take a moment to thank you and uh, really appreciate your your wisdom, your experience, the work you are doing and for being on the podcast with me today. Oh, thank you. It was so lovely. Shutting time. (laughs) Happy to be here. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Anu Lampinen. I am so grateful to Anu for generously sharing from her knowledge and years of experience and passion so that more people like you can have easier access to this information and resources. As you know, the main reason for creating this podcast was to put more resources and information in your hands, or your ears actually, so that you can feel less alone and just more supported on your parenting journey here in Finland. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me on this episode and see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Birthing in Finland podcast. To get the show notes for this episode, go to doulacollective.fi forward slash birthing in Finland. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and share this with someone who you think needs to hear it. A friend, a colleague, a neighbor. Help us get the word out so that more families can start enjoying these conversations. See you next time when I introduce you to another amazing person supporting families just like yours. Thank you.